From Bowling Green State University and the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society, this is BG Ideas. I'm going to show you this with a wonderful experiment. You're listening to the Big Ideas Podcast, a collaboration between the Institute for the Study of Culture and Society and the School of Media and Communication at Bowling Green State University. I'm Jolie Sheffer, Professor of English and American Culture Studies and the Director of ICS. As always, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of VGSU or its employees. Bowling Green State University and its campuses are situated in the Great Black Swamp and the Lower Great Lakes region. This land is the homeland of the Wyandotte, Kickapoo, Miami, Potawatomi, Ottawa, and multiple other indigenous tribal nations, present and past, who were forcibly removed to and from the area. We recognize these historical and contemporary ties in our efforts toward decolonizing history, and we thank the indigenous individuals and communities who've been living and working on this land from time immemorial. This season of Big Ideas focuses on sustainability and sustainable practices. True sustainability is dependent on equally balanced responses to social, economic, and environmental needs. Today's episode addresses creating sustainable partnerships and resources for the Latinx community, connecting the university and our region. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Beatriz Maja and Dr. Mikhaila Walsh. Beatriz is the director of La Codexion in Bowling Green. La Conexion was established in 2013 by a group of Latinx residents in Northwest Ohio to bring unity, voice, representation, and to advance the rights of the growing Latinx community in the area. Makayla is an assistant professor in ethnic studies at BGSU with a research focus on the U.S. and Mexico border, as well as transnational production of belonging. Makayla is a member of the ICS Latin American and Latino A Studies Research Cluster, an interdisciplinary group of BGSU faculty members. The cluster works to increase the visibility of Latin American and Latino A studies on campus through programming initiatives, curriculum development, and original research. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Beatriz, I wonder if you could start by talking about your relationship to La Conexión, how you got involved, and why you think it's so important to be part of this organization providing resources to our local Latinx community. La Conexión was a sort of an idea that I had for a long time. I was seeing that the Latinx community was growing in the rural counties, and there was nothing really to represent the community in the region. So myself and other people in the Latinx community living here began conversations to form an organization. Michaela, I want to talk to you a little bit about how you've come into this partnership, right, and some of these relationships. You are a faculty member, you do your own research, and you are a member of the Latin American and Latino Studies Cluster at BGSU. Could you talk a little bit about sort of what brought you into this conversation? So in terms of your research interests, what the cluster means to you, and how that has related to, or which came first in terms of your relationship with La Conexión as well? So my research focuses on, on the U.S.-Mexico border, and I look at cultural forms of resistance. I look at the border symbolically as well as materially as a space of exclusion, as a space also of inclusion. And I think by nature of, of my research, I was invited to the cluster which has been for me a, a space to 
listen to what other students and faculty are working on and thinking through as related to Latinx studies. Um, it's been also a, a space of collaboration, so thinking through conference presentations, work that can be done within the community, within the, the university as well. It's also been a place for me to be in dialogue with other faculty and students with respect to my own research. I think my relationship with La Conexión begins when I arrived at DGSU in 2016. And this was a very heated time in, in our history. And there was a lot of, um, a lot of hate, a lot of, a lot of fear that I think still persists today, especially for immigrant communities, especially for the Latinx community, given the border hysteria. So my first connection with La Conexión was trying to advocate for sanctuary campus here at BGSU. How do you think about, in your work for community advocacy, about research? And what role does it play in the ways that you both identify areas of need, as well as figure out how to get those needs addressed at the local or the state level? Everything that we have done comes from ideas and data that we gather from the community. And uh, we have remained an integral part of the community. So all of us are members of La Conexión. Now we have five outreach workers who were interested in becoming more involved, who live in different parts of the Northwest Ohio region. And they bring that connection with the community and also that voice into everything that we do, that we do every year. So it's a very grassroots uh, research, but it is what nurtures the organization agenda and the direction that we take every day. For our listeners who may be curious, what forms does that take? Is it phone surveying? Is it door-to-door visits? You know, what does it look like to actually try and capture the voice of this community? Because as you mentioned, a lot of this is rural. It isn't necessarily concentrated in urban areas. So how do they go about trying to make sure they're actually getting the voice of the community? At the beginning, when we started, I was kind of doing that research. The research is the outreach. It's done home by home and, and person to person. At that time, even, you know, still people were not using that much cell phones or Facebook or things like that. But as of today, really, for our type of organizing work, the one-on-one person-to-person contact is still what works the best. Even though now we use more social media like Facebook as a complement to the personal one-on-one contact. Makala, so your idea of research, you know, is informed by your position within the academy. But for you, you know, what does your research process look like and what do you prioritize when you're thinking about researching and writing about the border? Within my my research, I, I take a very embodied approach, one of of co-presence, one of proximity over objectivity. So for me, it's important to 
to be present, to have heart and ears uh, involved in, in the work that I do. Um, and so I think it's important to tune into the voices of people who are living through colonial and, and post-colonial legacies. So my work uh, along the U.S.-Mexico border and within Mexico, uh, and I understand Mexico is actually a network of borders. So for Central American migrants navigating Mexico, it's a series of obstacles. Uh, the border is very much arterial. And so part of my work uh, has been to situate myself along train tracks, which are a, a popular form of, of transportation, and in migrant and refugee shelters in Guadalajara, to kind of gather the narratives, the stories, the testimonio of men and women and children who are in the process of movement or who are in the process of staying still within, within the shelter. And to think about how to reframe stereotypes of these individuals, not as criminal or dispossessed or disempowered, but actually as agents, as people connected to place, um, while they may be fleeing place, what's their belonging to it? What do they miss about it? So to touch into those moments that aren't expressed or that we don't hear about in, in the media or necessarily even within academia where the migrant body tends to be exoticized or sensationalized. So even trying to feel through the, the quotidian, uh, the mundane, in order to, to get a fuller understanding of, of humanity. Mikaela, I know that in addition to your PhD research, you have a master's in fine art, right? You have a creative writing background as well. So I wonder how you think about bringing together some of that maybe more objective research training with your interest in voice and narrative as a way of telling this more complex story? My approach is, is very interdisciplinary in, in nature, and I really try to, to weave sort of the theoretical with, with the poetic to render corporeal, visceral, the lived experiences of others, which I think can become masked in, in newspaper articles, in academic journal articles, where you don't, you don't hear the in, intonation or inflection of, of voice. And so really foregrounding the voice of others and trying to bring to life as much as possible through thick description, sensory description, a sense of, of environment. I want to step backwards now to some of the, the larger trends, because we've been sort of toggling back and forth between the intimate and the individual voice, and then the sort of systemic and those larger questions, which is sort of prompted by Beatrice's statement at the beginning about La Conexion's sort of dual mission, right, for the local as well as the larger. So the 2020 census found a 23% national increase in the Latinx population between 2010 and 2020, with Latinx people accounting for 51% of the overall U.S. population growth in the last 10 years. At the local level, the Latinx population is about 4% of Ohio totally, but that community is also growing in Ohio, and it remains a really underserved community. I wonder if you could each sort of answer what these recent shifts, how they show up 
in your work, what patterns you are seeing emerge. So whether at the local level or nationally or internationally, what do those statistics actually look like, sound like, feel like for the folks involved? It sort of reinforce our perception when we started the organization, which was knowing that the Latinx community was growing and uh, still the lack of visibility and the marginalization that we, the community suffer. So we knew at that time we did some research on census data comparing 2010, and the Latinx community had grown 40% in Wood County. Of course, in the overall numbers, this is still small, but what is showing is a trend as to where we are going. So I think that that's important data that we are getting there. And Makayla, how have these trends shown up in your research and in your work? What are some of the differences, you know, as we see this growth show up in something like the census? How does that feel and look on the ground in some of the communities that you're studying? I think it's it's important to distinguish first that the, the Latinx community is, is so diverse that it's set apart by geography, by ancestry, by language, and that these aspects often don't factor into to a census, right, which is based on on quantitative data. So what I'm interested in, in looking at is what isn't seen or what are the untold stories taking, taking place in terms of, say, indigenous communities within the United States who are battling with, with COVID, uh, for whom Spanish, for example, is not, not a first language. So with this in, increase of the Latinx community within the United States, how do indigenous communities from Mexico and Central America fit in? How are they, they quantified and, and in turn, how are they excluded? Beatrice, what do you see as some of the particular challenges and opportunities, both locally and at the state level? Are those the same challenges and opportunities or do they look different locally versus the challenges you see at the state level? Our work is mainly local or regional, so we are not that aware about other Latinx or recent immigrant communities in the state. Now, here locally, I think the challenge is still pushing for voice and recognition and a place at the table that is recognized at an equal level. We are still not there. We still don't get any funding from the city or the county or or the state or any public funding whatsoever. So it is very common for us to see state agencies and county agencies and so on coming to us, asking for us to promote their services and do the outreach into the community as an unfunded request. And when I tell them, well, you know, we have a cost. We go home by home. We are the community. We have access. We know where people are. We know the workplaces. I mean, that has a super value. 
On top of that, we are bilingual. I can talk to you and I can talk to others. Nothing of that is value. Nothing. So there is a lot of work to do. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. A lot of work to do. So, Michaela, Beatrice was talking about the challenges to recognition, right, at the local level, making sure that the talents and skills and knowledge is valued and that there is support for that. I'm curious what analogs you might see into thinking about how academia, how higher education, right, in terms of your publishing or perhaps in terms of institutions of higher education, what challenges you see in those settings for getting that kind of voice and representation of the Latinx community? I can speak to to my experience here at BG. We're an institution that very much promotes ourselves as celebrating diversity and inclusion. And yet departments like ethnic studies, and this isn't unique to BG, remain underfunded. This is, I think, an issue throughout the the U.S. uh, in terms of humanities departments being compromised. So spaces of solidarity, of alliance, of education for Latinx individuals and for other students to to learn from and with this community are are compromised. Um, And I I think that they're very, very much at at risk right now as we see more of a turn towards a, a neoliberal university. We're going to take a quick break. Thanks for listening to the Big Ideas Podcast. If you are passionate about Big Ideas, consider sponsoring this program. To have your name or organization mentioned here, please contact us at ics at bgsu.edu. Welcome back to the Big Ideas Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Beatrice Maja and Michaela Walsh on the Latinx community in Northwest Ohio, La Conexion, and Latinx Studies Research at BGSU. This is for both of you. La Conexion relies on community partnerships to develop resources for the community in Northwest Ohio. From each of your perspectives, what does the partnership between La Conexion and the Latino and Latin American Studies Research Cluster at BGSU add to our local community? I think we have done important work together, although I had to say we don't have a formal partnership. It happened spontaneously as issues or projects or programs were brought up for the continuation of our tutoring program with the children. The children program came, again, from a need from the parents who told us, can you do something to help my kids in school because I don't know English. I cannot help them with homework. He's failing in reading. Even for some people who might know some English, still they didn't go to school here. So everything, the whole system is different. So that was the reason why we developed this program. However, we couldn't have done it without the contribution of these two particular classes and other BGSU students who have volunteered with us over the years, right? So that has been extremely important and continues as of today. In addition, uh, we have done fantastic educational programming for 
the community at large on issues related to immigration, uh, beginning from you know how the immigration system works to the root causes of immigration, the issue of the immigrant children in detention, and also looking at, I think, the latest that we did that was facilitated by Dr. Amilcar Jalyu was on the economic contributions of immigrants and looking at the future of the state of Ohio, where the population, looking at the aging of the population and where the newcomers are, are coming from and their contributions. So we are very, very happy with the results of every single collaboration that we have done with the cluster. And Makala, for you, what has the work with La Conexion done for you personally and or what do you think it has added to the BGSU community? I'll begin uh, by saying for my students who have to contribute 30 hours of, of community service, the opportunity to have hands-on experience working with a nonprofit, exposure to different culture, to a new environment, to new situations, having to commit to uh, time and, and energy um, to connecting with, with students and learning both from and with them has been tremendous and has shaped in some cases, what they decide to, to go on and, and focus on career-wise. So this has been very tremendous in that way for, for students growing, growing in, in my class and through the partnership with La Conexión. In terms of the community and the cluster's collaboration with La Conexión, I think in moments that have been very fraught with tension, it's important to, to bring dialogue to have dialogue within the community. So for example, events and forums taking place at the Wood County Library, for example, on the question of push factors of, of migration to educate the broader Bowling Green community, not only the university, but to bridge university and, and community has been really tremendous. I'm curious, for you, Beatriz, when you think about sustainability, given your focus on meeting those needs as they come, how do you navigate the challenges of being an under-resourced organization? And how do you think about planning or building for the future for the organization? It's been extremely challenging, starting with absolutely nothing. But uh, little by little, you know, we were able to continue raising our, our funding base and hire additional people to do the work. As we grew the membership, we currently have 1,200 members in the Northwest Ohio region. And of course, we have, you know, a lot of work to do on that because of the growing of the, uh, of the community. So uh, the two main things for us is to sustain people, people, people who can do the work, right? And then on top of that, the other major expense has been mileage because we do travel around the, the Northwest Ohio region. Our funding sources have been mainly social justice foundations so far. And of course, 
social justice foundations are not precisely the wealthiest foundations that there is. So the grants that we get are small grants. Uh, I'm talking about 10,000, 5,000, 15,000, which, you know, with each of those grants, you cannot pay a single person to do the work. So that requires a lot of time, you know, seeking multiple grants. And of course, as of today, we are all on stipends. We don't enjoy good benefits or, or anything, pension plan, nothing like that. So that's the situation to show you how hard it is and it has been to sustain this organization. So for the future, you know, we are looking at different possibilities, even looking at applying to public funding, which we have not done. Uh, the issue is that when you define yourself as a social justice foundation and not as a service-only organization, then it becomes very difficult to get any sort of public funding because in many times you have to make the government uncomfortable with the work that you do. So you kind of have to choose your direction and then you know, that's the funding that you are going to get, right? And of course, we also get support from uh, individual donors, which we certainly appreciate very much, uh, the effort and the continued support of individual donors. We also sell T-shirts. We also provide interpretations for some of the agencies in town. And, and we also have a contract with the cocoon to promote their services and work with the Latinx women who uh, suffer domestic violence or sexual assault. So those are kind of uh, an overview of our funding sources. And of course, that remains very hard to, to sustain. At the same time, our work grew tremendously all over the Northwest Ohio region, right? So we are not an organization that works in Bowling Green or in Wood County. We really are a regional-based organization. And in the social justice work that we do because of the issues that we work with, of course, we are connected with the statewide coalitions and, and national coalitions. So our work uh, both on the capacity building, immigrant integration, and the social justice have grown tremendously. And we had to definitely look for ways to expand our funding to really be able to sustain the work and the quality of work that we do. We are very proud of the work that we do. Very proud. Michaela, how do you think about sustainability in terms of building relationships with research subjects and the communities you engage with. What does sustainability in that sense mean to you? I think that there's this unfortunate trend in academia, especially when you're on the tenure track, you have to publish X amount in order to, to succeed. And so a lot of times academics will locate a, a hot topic and they'll enter a community They'll stay there for a brief amount of time and they'll leave and they'll write their article and, and they'll never return to that community. Um, 
for me, a sustainable or building sustainability involves remaining in dialogue with the people who, who I've encountered. And in, in one case, an indigenous community in, in Mexico with whom I, I lived for a couple of years, continuing that dialogue and seeing what issues are, are affecting them today, 10 years after first introducing myself, some of the challenges of sustainability in terms of thinking about migration, undocumented migration, the experience of volunteering in a migrant and refugee shelter and encountering people is very, very ephemeral. You see a person for a day and, and they're gone. You see a person for three days. Um, you might maintain contact with them through social media. And then there's always that very arresting moment where they go off of social media and you wonder what happened to this person? Uh, were they detained? Did they die in the process of, of crossing? Have they been deported? Where are they? So sometimes sustainability in terms of relationships and building, building them isn't possible. And then also the, the challenge of sustainability when when geographically you live in Ohio and your research site is in, in central Mexico. Um, and so trying to navigate that, that dynamic of, of time and space, wanting to be in community and at the same time having to, to navigate other obligations. As a final question, I'd love to hear each of you talk about any advice you have for listeners who want to get involved with La Conexion, with kind of serving Latinx communities more generally, or with just generally getting involved with underserved communities wherever they may live? What advice would you give? Volunteers have been very important for our work throughout the years. We have had amazing volunteers who have done extraordinary work, for instance, as members of our Immigrant Solidarity Committee. Right? That, that was an all-volunteer committee who helped us put in our programming and actions and protests, uh, etc., cetera, uh, regarding immigrant rights and immigration reform. And then I mentioned also the youth program, other activities that we have done. So definitely uh, there is a space to become engaged. And I encourage your listeners to contact La Conexión through our email or um, Facebook page. We can chat more. And Makayla, do you have any advice for listeners or perhaps for students who might be trying to figure out how to get more involved and how to help support immigrant and Latinx communities? So I think one, one approach to consider is, is allowing yourself to be vulnerable and curious, to learn and to ask many questions of, of the, the organization that, that you want to be involved with and consider, too, why you want to be involved to locate, to do the research of what organizations are, are around locally. Becoming involved in an organization might even be as simple as taking a class, a dance class, a cooking class, an art class, 
learning a little bit about that culture and using that as a stepping stone to, to become more engaged. Thank you both so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Listeners can keep up with ICS happenings by following us on Twitter and Instagram at ICSBGSU and on our Facebook page. You can listen to Big Ideas wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. For more information, visit bgsu.edu forward slash bgideas. Our producers are Chris Cavera and Marco Mendoza with sound engineering by Alexander Schweitzer and Marco Mendoza. Research assistance and writing was provided by Joanna Simpson with editing by Carrie Hanlon.